As we think about and honor the fallen on this Memorial Day, Christ followers remember God's sacrificial expression of His love to us. What what does God's Word say? For God so loved the world, He did what? He gave His only begotten Son. And then Paul, in this passage we're reading this morning, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, I invite you to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul describes God's indescribable gift, and he's referring to Jesus. No words. You can't even put into words exactly what God did for us through Jesus Christ. And because God gave to us, we in response want to give to Him. We want to give generously. We want to give obediently. We want to give sacrificially. He wants our very lives. He wants us to seek Him first, to seek first the kingdom of God. He wants to be first in every area of our lives. He wants to be first in our, in, in our finances and how we manage our finances. He wants to be first in our, in our interest and how we manage our, our interest. He wants to be first in every relationship. He wants to be first in our schedule. Uh, he wants to have the first part of the day. He wants to have the first day of the week. He wants us to be in worship with Him. And He wants, us to, be first, he wants, he wants to be first in our trials. When, we turn, when, when something comes into our lives, when some trauma, some tribulation comes to our lives, He doesn't want us focusing on our problems. He wants us focusing on Him. He doesn't want us to... Uh, uh, to, to he, the first place He wants us to go is, is to Him as we put our focus on Him. So I hope you caught that acronym, F-I-R-S-T. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now guess, this is your lucky day. Because I haven't preached on giving in several years. And I'm preaching on it today, but I want you to listen very carefully, every one of you. I'm preaching on giving, yes, but I'm preaching on what is our appropriate response to what God has given to us and, what, and, and who God has given to us. What, what are the implications as we think about seeking first the kingdom of God, as we think about making sure the priorities in our life are aligned up with God's priorities? See, God wants us to honor Him in every area of our life. He wants us to honor Him even in our giving. So as we think about our giving this morning, does our giving please God? Or are we giving the way God's Word instructs us to give in His Word? Giving that honors God is, is obedient giving that follows the principles and applies the principles that are, are presented in His Word and reflects our giving to Him our very best, again, of our time, of our talents, of our treasures, of our, our giftedness. So as we look at 2 Corinthians 9, 1-15, understand the context. There was, a, there was a need. The saints in Jerusalem were, were basically destitute. And Paul reached out to the various churches he had contact with, the various churches he had, had planted, and, and, he, and he appealed to them to do their part to contribute to this benevolent offering that would help the saints in Jerusalem. Many, many churches responded, but one key church was dragging her feet for whatever reason, and it was the church at Corinth. He wrote to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 through 3. He, he addressed this, uh, this need in the Jerusalem church. He, he mentioned this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, verses 10 and 11, about how they were dragging their feet. He says, And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, a full year had gone by since his appeal. But now you must also complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of what you have. And so now Paul was coming to town. He was collecting, and he wanted to take this with him to, uh, to the church at Jerusalem, and he wanted them 
to be ready. So Paul was addressing a very specific situation, a very specific context of, of need, but he presented some timeless principles that apply to our lives today. So follow with me, please, as we read chapter 9. Beginning, well, we're going to read the whole chapter, so just hang with me as we read these 15 verses. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. But he did it anyway. He said, you already know what I'm going to say. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But I say this, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or as uh, of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, having, uh, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He is dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness." while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God. For his indescribable gift. So what can we learn? Well, first of all, let's look at the principle of proportion as you look at verse 6 with me. Here's the principle. We, we harvest in proportion to what we plant, don't we? And we plant, what we plant comes back to us in proportion to what we harvest. We find this principle in at least three other places in God's Word. Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 24, if you want to write that down and look it up. Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, where he says, uh, Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. In God's economy, we, we reap in proportion to what we sow. So note four laws of God's harvest this morning. Four laws of God's harvest. First of all, God supplies the seeds. The seed represents the resources that God has bestowed upon us and so generously given to us. God has given to us a certain amount of time and a certain amount of talent and a certain amount of, of, of material possessions, a certain amount of treasure to use for His glory. We mistakenly think it's our stuff. But it's really God's stuff that He has blessed us with and entrusted to us to use to manage for His glory and for the furtherance of the gospel. God is the supplier. Within every seed is what? Is great potential. But the only way the seed can have a chance to grow and reach its potential is to be planted. 
God cannot grow a seed that is withheld from being planted. Second, we reap what we plant. Now, I cannot plant pumpkin seeds and expect to get watermelon, can I? If we plant seeds of kindness, then we'll get seeds of kindness in return. If we plant seeds of encouragement, then we'll get blessed with encouragement. If you plant love and you're a loving person, then, then that's going to come back around on you. You'll reap love. If we, if we want God's favor in our lives, then we need to give God's best as we share our best. So we reap what we plant. Third, we reap in God's timing. Usually you don't plant seeds and see a crop right away, do you? It takes time to yield a crop. A farmer must uh, have patience. He must have trust. Uh, trust. There's no way that he can rush the process of, of growing up his, his gardening. He, he can't make the sun shine every day. He can't make the rain come at the appropriate time. He, he can't control the elements. He can't control Mother Nature. He, he does his best to prepare and to plant, and then he waits. Apparently, two of my granddaughters decided they wanted to uh, pick the apples out of an apple and pick the pepper seeds or the apple seeds out of an apple and pick the pepper seeds out of a, out of a pepper. And they decided they wanted to plant them and see, see what would happen. So we got potting soil, we got pots. And, and uh, the other day when I was up there, they, they planted their pepper seeds and they planted their, their uh, apple seeds. So I asked Siri, the, the, know, the knower of all things, most things, some things he doesn't know. And I told him that one time. I said, well, I shouldn't say this word. I said, Siri, you're not very smart. And he said, that's not very nice. But anyway. So I said, how long does it take for apple seeds to germinate? I said, you should see leaves in three to five days. Well, that's pretty quick. How long does it take pepper seeds to germinate? Two to three weeks. So they're watering. They're watching. This just happened Friday, so we'll see what happens. But obviously, we reap in God's timing. Usually, when you reap in God's timing, this is the third point, sub-point, you don't plant seeds and see a crop right away. Church growth consultant, apply this spiritually. Galatians 6, 9 reads, Let us not grow weary in well-doing. What's the rest of it say? For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. When, when we plant seeds of the gospel, when we plant seeds of the gospel, some will take hold and some will sprout results in time. When we share the gospel and sow invitations, we, we may not see results right away, but, but God blesses our efforts and, and some will respond. That's why, we, that's why we keep planting. That's why we keep watering. That's why we keep praying. That's why we keep trying. Fourth, we reap in proportion to the quantity of seeds we plant. Few seeds, little return. Many seeds, more return. Now that makes sense on the farming front, but it makes sense when you're planting seeds of the gospel also. Second principle, chapter 9, verse 7. The principle of participation. He says what? So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Let each one of us give. Paul challenged every Corinthian believer to do his or her part. Every Corinthian believer to do his or her part. Each is placed first in this sentence grammatically for emphasis. 
It's critical for every person to participate on some level for the offering to have maximum impact. God, God expects every believer to do his part or her part. So this reminds us of individual responsibility. God, God brought you to this church. God led you to this church, not only for your own spiritual benefit. Yes, we're here to help you grow spiritually. We are here to help you, to, to hold you accountable spiritually, just as you are here to hold me accountable spiritually. Yes, you, you are here for your own spiritual benefit, but also God brought you to this church for the gospel's benefit. For the gospel's benefit. God places different people with different gifts, different experiences, different abilities, different levels of resources into a specific body of Christ to make that church stronger and better able to do His kingdom work. Have you ever asked the question from a spiritual perspective, God, why did you put me in this church? Why did you lead me to this church? The other question is, what am I doing? to help this church be a stronger church? What am I doing to to help this church grow in doing kingdom work? This feeding the fire station over these next few weeks is is kingdom work. You realize that? We're going to go love on those folks. We're going to be a presence. We're going to represent the Lord Jesus. Our very presence, our walking into that station and showing them we love them represents the presence of Jesus as we wrap our arms around those folks spiritually, figuratively, maybe even literally for it's over with, and we say, we are here for you. That's an investment. Let each one of us, each of us has a, responsible, uh, a responsibility to advance the kingdom. However, we can only be our strongest when each member is carrying his or her share of the load. We all have to carry our share of the load. When each of us is doing his or her part in praying, in giving, in going, in loving, in serving, in, in, in ministering, in encouraging, in supporting, and in reaching the lost. I have a pastor dream. Every now and then I have a pastor nightmare, but this, this is a pastor dream. I often wonder what we would look like if every person would just accidentally show up some Sunday and be here. And we had our entire church family, all of our regular attenders, and all of our guests here at the same time for Bible study and worship. Wouldn't that be something? I wonder what each of us could do to make an impact in our area if every person brought one person and encouraged one person a month to become a part of our church family. Just just one a month. We ought to be doing it all week long. If every person led someone to Jesus this year and discipled them and loved them into into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, what would happen if we got serious about praying for revival and pleading with God and applying 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14 to our lives and to our community and to our church family? What if every person grew in in, in how they grew in their stewardship of time and talent and treasures and, and, and we all... Put God first in every part of our responsibility. How much more could we do for the kingdom of God? How much more could we do for missions? How much more of an impact could we have on our church field? Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. He says, let each one of you. But not only that, third, the principle of purposing. Okay, you see the rest of verse 7. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. That word means to choose deliberately, to choose deliberately 
or to make up one's own mind about something. What he's talking about here is, is, okay, we read God's Word, we know God's Word, we know what God expects of us, we know where we are in our own personal lives, and we pray, God, what, is, what are you leading me to do in this area? If I'm not where I'm supposed to be, how can you help me get there? If I've been obedient and I'm, and I'm, at, I'm at your expectation uh, and I've been there for years, how can I grow beyond that expectation? It means to take commitment seriously and to truly and sincerely seek God's leadership. It means to think really hard about where we are uh, and, and, and what God is leading us to do. It means to plan, not just to make an impulsive decision. You may think you know what you can do. And God says, no, I want you to do something more than that. And I'm going to show you how it's going to happen. And we trust God as we move ahead. Every one of us should be in a... In a in a spirit of of prayer and soul searching as we approach this important area of church life and as we come to the moment in worship in which we celebrate our giving. We're not passing the plate right now. That's that's probably going to be coming back in the next few weeks as we uh, try to move on beyond COVID. But when we come to that moment when the deacon comes and prays God's blessing over the offering that we've given all week, as, as we give online, as we give at the back door through the, uh, uh, the drop boxes, as we mail in, whatever we're doing right now, we, we want to celebrate this part of worship and this act of worship. To purpose in our hearts means we contemplate and then do our best for God. <clears throat> we want to be as committed to God as God expects us to be, as committed to His church as committed to His purpose, as God calls us to be. So, we don't give out of coercion. You remember the word grudgingly that was in there just a moment ago? Around verse 6. We don't give out of guilt. We don't give because somebody's twisting our arm. We give because we have purposed in our heart, and God is leading us to do so. Fourth, the principle of positive perspective. Verse 7 has so much in it. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity or out of, out of compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. You learned that verse when you were a kid in Sunday school, didn't you? <clears throat> God loves a cheerful giver. This describes the person, uh, the, the word grudgingly, when he says not grudgingly, don't give out of compulsion. This describes a person who who experiences pain and, and discomfort when he gives. He doesn't, he doesn't really want to do it, but he does so because he feels compulsion or guilt. God delights in what? In cheerful giving. In cheerful giving. The word cheerful in the Greek is hilaros, which gives us our English word hilarious. This word describes the level of joy we should experience when we give to God and when we help others. When we bless others out of what God has blessed us with, we should be a, a hilarious giver. We should receive great joy when we are faithful to give and when we can minister to others in our giving. Jack Taylor wrote, I wish I could draw a picture of a hilarious giver. If I could, I would capture the look of uncontained delirium, electrifying enthusiasm, ecstatic expectation, a countenance exploding with delight, almost giddy, always gleesome, and a hilarious giver has discovered that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. So let's ask, what, what, is, 
what is our attitude towards this important area of Christian responsibility? Is it, man, I've got to give today? Or is it, well, I've got to pay my dues? Is that a positive perspective? Is that, is that a cheerful attitude? God wants us to enjoy giving because God is such a giving God. God wants us to be just like Him. We are never more like God than, we, than when we are loving with God's love, loving sacrificially, and when we are giving the way God gives. We want to love sacrificially. We want to give sacrificially. We want to give to God's work, and we want to give to help others. You've been so, so generous. As time, as opportunities come along, whenever you hear of a need in the body of Christ, and of course Paul was talking about other bodies of Christ, helping them, but you always rally. You always do your best. You always rise to the occasion. I want to give you an example. And I'm putting somebody on the spot. He doesn't know this is coming. Bobby, would you come up here and join me for just a moment, please? Oh, you don't have your arm with you. I had to send it back. You had to send it back. All right, we'll do this another Sunday then. Yeah. Man, I was going to show off this arm. <laughs> you guys rallied and helped Bobby get this hero arm that's going to help him get a job, help him get back on track with his uh, making a living. When that arm comes back in, you let me know, and we'll have that moment. But you gave, and you made it happen. That was a shocker, because I was expecting you to have your arm on this morning. <laughs> but you know the point. You, made, you helped make it happen. All right, fifth, very quickly. The principle of abounding results. Chapter 9, verses 10 through 15. Paul lists four results that benefits, the, uh, that, or, or benefits from the Corinthian special offering. Once they, once they finally got around to giving and helping the Jerusalem folks, they, they benefited. What, what happens when we share ourselves generously? Well, first, the giver benefits. God's response to our generosity is to make all grace abound to the giver. The verb is to abound is found six times in these chapters. The emphasis is on God's abundant provision. When we give generously, God makes sure our needs are met. Plus, we are spiritually enriched. Let's talk about God's blessings for just a moment. Now, you're aware that there are those who teach that if you give, you'll be blessed spiritually or materially. If you give, you will prosper materially. And uh, sometimes they use that as, as a, a, a way to manipulate you into, into giving. That's, that's not cheerful giving. Listen, I, I hope you can say this. I am rich spiritually. And I hope you are too. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know that I am forgiven and I have right standing with God. I know because of what Jesus did for me on the cross and how He conquered death and He arose from the grave, I know that He prepared a place for me in heaven. And one day when I, when I cross over from this life into the next life, He's going to greet me and say, here's your place in heaven I have prepared for you. I mean, I, we, we are blessed spiritually if we know Jesus Christ as Savior. I have the, uh, uh, because of Jesus, I can live a full and meaningful life of purpose and direction. 
and, and have joy in my life. I have the privilege of leading people to Christ. I have the privilege of, of standing with people as, as the gospel representative, as God's representative, and, and loving them and walking through them with them through critical moments of praying for you and, and of seeing God answer prayers. I, I, I get to be pastor. And, it, and it's fun most of the time. And I get to preach the Word of God Sunday in and Sunday out. I, I am a blessed man. But I'm also blessed materially. We shouldn't compare. But the truth is, it doesn't matter what you have on this side of the ocean. You are rich compared to many people in this world. If you have shelter, if you can go to a closet full of clothes and choose what you're going to wear today, if you have shoes on your feet, if you have fresh water coming out of your refrigerator that's chilled into the glass with the Georgia Bulldog on it, <laughs> if you have choices for dinner today, you are blessed. If your home hasn't been destroyed by, by bombs and you're ducking in a bomb shelter wondering when is this going to be over with, you're blessed. You are so blessed. I don't understand. This is just one of those things we'll have to ask when we get to heaven. Why some folks end up with more stuff on this side of eternity than other folks. But we aren't supposed to be laying up our, our treasures on earth, are we? Aren't we supposed to be laying up our treasures in heaven Amen. and investing in eternity? Aren't we supposed to have a, a, a different viewpoint? I want you to look at verse 8 very carefully. Notice the alls. See, God is able. God is powerful. God Himself provides everything that we need. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's, he's always having all sufficiency and all things may have an abundance for every good work. All things. God, God Himself provides the means to be a successful, generous giver at all times, in all things, in all places. We have everything we need. Second, the recipient's benefit. Look at verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. The word administration means uh, is the same word that's translated service or ministry. Paul told the Corinthians their ministry would greatly benefit the saints in need. Third, God benefits. As you look at verse 12, God is, God is thanked. You know, sometimes we forget to thank God, don't we? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. God, God loves it when we thank Him. God loves it when we praise Him. Verse 13, God is praised. God is honored when we give obediently and faithfully and cheerfully. God is glorified when we're faithful. Fourth, the church benefits. And God's work benefits. Look at verses 13 and 14. The church benefits. At this moment, all right, again, remember the context. There was some skepticism and distrust between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians weren't certain the Gentile converts were really sincere, and they, they were still working on their issues of unity as these two groups came together, these two cultures came together because of the gospel. Paul told the Corinthians that their generous offering would prove to the folks at Jerusalem that they were for real in their faith. They were genuine in their faith. 
This gift would help unify the church and help rally the church and help advance kingdom growth and help meet the needs of of needy believers in Jerusalem. All at the same time, God was going to use their generosity. What is our greatest motivation to give? We'll look at verse 15. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. What is he saying? Paul is saying, hey, we can't outgive God. God has given to us the greatest gift that could ever be given because He gave His very best indescribable gift. That word means something that is beyond human description, something that cannot be put into words, something that is way too intense to put into words. And of course, Paul is talking about the ultimate gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has been describing the benefits of the generous giving of faithful followers of Christ. And he now parallels that giving with the unparalleled gift of God's Son. Such an incomprehensible gift. So we've come full circle. That's what our lives should be about. Whether it's our prayer life, our witnessing life, every area of commitment that God calls us to. We should be challenged by the sacrifice of Christ. We should be encouraged by the sacrifice of Christ. We should be ministered to by the sacrifice of Christ. We should be spurred on by the sacrifice of Christ. Here's the basic truth of this message and of chapter 15. Folks, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus being the center of our lives and being first in our lives. It's all about Jesus. Do our priorities reflect that our lives are all about Jesus? Do our daily activities reflect that our lives are all about Jesus? Do we know Jesus as our Savior? That's the starting point. Accepting Jesus Christ and His free gift of eternal life. If you're here today and you have questions about what it means to accept Christ, what it means to to have certainty of eternal life, what it means to have a place prepared in heaven for you, I want you to catch me at the back door and let me share with you what the Bible says about how to know for certain that you have eternal life and that you're going for certain to heaven when you die. We can help you with that this morning. And we want to. Don't leave this place wondering about your eternity. If you're online, reach out to me at that email right there. And I'll look forward to getting with you and having a conversation about what God's Word says about how to know for certain that you're going to heaven. How to know for certain that you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be other next steps that you're thinking about. The step of baptism. The step of uniting with this church family. Maybe the step of getting some area of your spiritual life in order. We're here to help. And we want to come alongside you and help you any way that we can.